Good morning. I know there will be probably some additional folks coming in a little later. That is what always happens. Um, hey, hey, Sam. I'm glad you're here, buddy. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, good morning. I'm glad that you're here. If you have a Bible, go ahead and find Paul's letter to the Ephesians. The Ephesians. So First and Second Corinthians, General Electric Power Company what I learned when I was like five, and I still use it all the time. I'm like, where is Ephesians? Oh yeah, it's after Galatians. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. So Ephesians, Ephesians. All right. Well, what a summer. And hopefully for you, what a week. I know it's probably been busy for many of us as we get back into the new rhythm. I was talking to some of you earlier this morning of just like, it's just, it's just a new rhythm. I'm, I'm, I'm out of conditioning to be a part of something like school every day for the week, uh, but we will all get there, I'm sure. But one of the rhythms that I hope that we can really stay consistent with that I think is vitally important for you and me is right here, right now. Being together with God's people, reading and studying his word. So my goal this morning for all of us is to give an overview of Paul's letter to the Ephesians. So we'll, we'll only look at two verses in Ephesians, but we'll actually be bouncing around some other places as well. We'll get into the text more specifically starting next week, but today is more setting the table and seeing what's most important for us to notice. So maybe you're ready to dive in. Maybe you've been reading your Bible for a long time. Maybe you've read Paul's letter to the Ephesians more times than you can remember. Maybe you're familiar with the, the structure and the main ideas and what's going on in that letter that Paul wrote to that church, but maybe not. Maybe you have no idea. Maybe you're thinking, well, I mean, I, I guess I know that Paul wrote it since it says in my Bible, the letter of Paul to the Ephesians, but I mean, what's going on? I don't know where to even begin except chapter one, verse one. No matter where you are, I think God has something for us this morning as we look at the overview of Ephesians, and I think he has something for us all semester long as we dive in his word together. So let's read just the intro, just two verses, and then we'll begin to set the table together. This is how the letter to the Ephesians begins. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray before we go any further. Oh God in heaven, we're grateful that we get to gather together once again, open up your word, and hear you speak. Lord, I pray that as we think about the, just the overarching themes and structure of Ephesians, I pray that you would give me great clarity of thought, that you would give these students uh, listening ears and tender hearts minds that want to be transformed by the power of your word and by the power of your spirit. Lord, I pray that we might learn together so that we might love you more deeply and love our neighbors as ourselves, that we might see the work of you, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that we might be reminded again and again of whose we are and who we are as followers of Jesus. Lord, we, we need your grace, and we need it right now. So we ask for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there's kind of three categories I want us to hit this morning. The first, if you're taking notes, is just the context, the context of Ephesians. So I, I told this story to 
um, my class that started on Thursday at Lakeview Christian School. I'm now teaching a introduction to interpreting the Bible class, and it's going to be a ton of fun. And uh, one of the things I said was, for, for a lot of us, when we start reading the Bible, uh, we just kind of jump in, right? I remember when I first became a Christian, my uh, pastor, his name was John Carney. He said, well, uh, you should start with, with my name. You should start in the gospel of John. <laughs> and I was like, okay, why? Like, why start there? And, and, and that's a great place to start. You get to see Jesus at work. You get to see clearly who he is as the son of God. But I didn't have a, a frame of reference to know what was going on. And, and even if we jump into just a letter in the New Testament, if we're not careful, it's like, it's like jumping into a book that has 60 chapters and you jumping in on like chapter 45, right? You're like, who are these people and why are they important? And why should I be sad that that girl just got killed, right? Like, I don't know anything. I don't know what the story is, right? The, the example I use in my class was, it's like starting Harry Potter, like book five. You're like, who is Voldemort and why is he scary again? Like, I don't know. And then I realized I was with my homeschool crew. So I was like, it's like jumping into like the horse and his boy. You know what I mean? Like, you just don't know like what's going on, why these people are important, right? The same is true with our Bibles, right? So if we don't know where we are, then we're going to have some trouble figuring out what it is that we're supposed to notice and what we're supposed to see. So as Paul was on one of his missionary journeys, and you can read about this in the book of Acts, he eventually came to the city of Ephesus. Ephesus was an important port city in the Roman Empire. It was actually the, the capital of the Roman territory of Asia, and therefore, it was home to many, many Gentiles and therefore many, many pagans. That is, false worshipers, idolaters. So when Paul shared the gospel and planted churches in this town of Ephesus, the culture eventually was turned upside down. So hold your place in Ephesians and find with me just a couple of pages in the, uh, before to Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19. This is great for us to notice who are we reading about? What is going on in the story? Paul knows these people. He's writing to people that he has spent real time with, as we'll see together. So Acts chapter 19, I'll give you another second or two. All right, I think the pages are winding down. Let's look at verse 1 of Acts chapter 19. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples. And we'll just stop there. There's a great story here about the work of the Holy Spirit. But he's in Ephesus sharing the gospel. Skip down to verse 8. And he entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. Now, pause there. So Paul's mission, every time he would go to a city, remember Paul was a Jew. He was from the tribe of Benjamin. And so one of the first things he would do when he came to a city is he would find the Jewish synagogue. He would find the Jewish place of worship. And he would try to share with them, hey, that 
promised Messiah, the one that we've been waiting for, he's come. His name is Jesus, and he was crucified, but he rose from the dead and offers life to any who would believe in him. And usually, they would kick him out. So you see here, for a couple of months, he was able to reason with some of the Jews, make some disciples, but ultimately, he was kicked out. So he withdrew from that place and went to the hall of Tyrannus with the disciples that he had already made. Look at verse 10. This continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. So Paul, in in great contrast to what we learned about in 1 Thessalonians, remember in 1 Thessalonians, he was only with those believers for a couple of weeks. He got to spend over two years regularly teaching and discipling and mentoring these Ephesian believers. So when you read through Ephesians, you'll notice that some of that letter is pretty dense. Like there's a lot going on in the text. Well, it's because Paul is writing to believers who spent a lot of time sitting under his teaching. He's not having to start from scratch, so to speak. He can kind of jump in the deep end. Now, later in Acts, we see that the gospel had caused the city to shift in some remarkable ways. So skip down to about verse 21. Now, after these events, Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and go to Jerusalem, saying, after I've been there, I must also see Rome. And having sent into Macedonia two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. So he stayed in Asia. He stayed around Ephesus. He's continuing to disciple the believers there. Verse 23, about that time, there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades and said, men, you know that from this business, we have our wealth. And you see in here that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that gods made with hands are not gods. And there is danger, not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing, and that she may be even disposed or deposed from her magnificence, she whom all Asia and the world worship. When they heard this, they were enraged and were crying out, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. So the city was filled with the confusion and they rushed together into the theater, dragging with them Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians who were Paul's companions in travel. But when Paul wished to go in among the crowd, the disciples would not let him. So let's let's stop there. So see what's going on. Demetrius, this silversmith, this man who made silver shrines to Artemis, this pagan goddess, the one who has this enormous, enormous temple there in Ephesians. It was one of the seven great wonders of the ancient world. He gathers up all these tradesmen and he says, look, you know that we make our living making these shrines, making these idols, making these gods for worship. But you also know that this Paul is convincing all of our people that what we're doing is foolish. He's convincing all these people that the the shrines that we make, the gods that we make are no gods at all. And so they start a riot 
because the world in Ephesus is turning upside down. The point is that all pagan worship and the industries that served it were being threatened by the gospel that Paul preached. Ephesus was a culture where everyone worshipped something. Everyone had allegiance to a god or to a, a group of gods. Everyone was hoping and praying that their God would bless them. And these Ephesian believers are now caught in the crossfire. Now, I hope that sounds familiar to you because it should. Because we also live in a culture where everyone worships. Everybody worships someone or something And we also get caught in the crossfire as followers of Jesus because there are many around us who misunderstand what we believe. They misunderstand who we worship. They misunderstand the truth of the gospel. And so the point that I want to make here as we think about the context of Ephesians is that the believers in Ephesus who are receiving this letter from Paul are just like us. They're just like us. They're growing like us in the faith, sitting under regular sound teaching, struggling like us in a broken world, and listening like us for what God has to say. What we'll notice in Ephesians is that there doesn't seem to be a specific occasion for Paul to address. Right? You think about Paul's letter to the Galatians, and there are these clear, the clear reason for writing. Paul's saying, I'm writing to you because there are those who are preaching a different gospel, These Judaizers who are adding the law of Moses onto the gospel. That's no gospel at all. Or maybe 1 Corinthians. There's all of this sin in the camp or all of these questions about sacrifice or eating meat, sacrifice to idols and things like that. In Ephesians, you'll find no particular occasion. There's no specific reason why Paul is writing this letter. Instead, it's a letter Paul writes from prison probably around the early 60s AD, to remind these believers that he knew and loved what their faith was all about. So that leads us to look at some of the major themes of the letter. So now we have the context of what was going on in Ephesus, how Paul started these churches. Now we get to some major themes in the letter. So there are a few key themes that will be patterned throughout Ephesians, and we don't have time to look at all of them. So for the sake of time, I'm just going to give you three, okay? So first, when we study Ephesians together, we will see the Trinity at work. We're going to see the Trinity at work, the work of the triune God. Now, this is deep water stuff, so bear with me, right? But we believe what all Christians have believed throughout the centuries, that there is one God. We believe in one God, and that one God exists in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Father is fully God. The Son is fully God. The Spirit is fully God. And there is one God. And you're like, I know I haven't taken Algebra 2 yet, but like, that's hard to understand. And it is. It is. But hopefully, over the semester, we will start to try to grasp what is the most infinitely difficult thing in creation. Because we're talking about the one who wasn't created. We are talking about God. We're talking about the infinite one. He who is the I am that I am. He is the creator. We are his creatures. And yet God has revealed himself to us in his word. 
and he's able to communicate with his creatures. You ever think, think about Genesis chapter one. Who uses the first human language? God does. The first time human language is uttered, it's God speaking in Genesis chapter one. It says when God blessed them and said, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. He's speaking to creatures. He is able to communicate. He's able to say things for us to understand them as he intends for us to understand. So when we try to grasp our minds around the Trinity, it is a good place to be when we are finding ourselves in the Bible because that's God speaking. So we'll see the work of the Trinity on display throughout Ephesians with certain activities being appropriated or seen as appropriate to specific persons. So for example, we will see the Father as the person of the Trinity who plans and sends. God the Father plans and sends. He's the one who blesses us in Christ in Ephesians 1 verse 3. He's the one who gives to us the Holy Spirit In chapter 1, verse 17, he's the one who predestines his people for adoption as sons in chapter 1, verse 5. He's the one that we thank for all things in chapter 5, verse 20. He is the one who plans and sends. Next, we see the son. The son is the one who accomplishes. He's the one through whom we have adoption in 1, verse 5. He's the one who bled for us and died so that we might be forgiven in chapter 1, verse 7. He's the one who makes us a new creation in chapter 2, verse 10. He is our Savior. God the Son who comes to earth, puts on flesh, Jesus Christ. He's the one who saves us from our sins. He accomplishes the work of salvation. And finally, we see the Holy Spirit as the one who applies the work of the Son to us. So the Father plans and sends, the Son accomplishes, and the Spirit applies what the Son has accomplished. So the Spirit seals us as a guarantee of the Lord's Word in chapter 1, verse 13. He's the one who opens our eyes in chapter 1, verse 18, to really see and understand the gospel The Spirit is the one who gives us access to the Father in chapter 2, verse 18. He builds us into a dwelling place for God just a couple of verses later in verse 22. And on and on we can go. Throughout this letter, we will see more and more of the Holy Trinity at work for us. Like God is for us. If we are in Christ, if we're followers of Jesus, then he is always infinitely, unceasingly at work to bring you into his blessing, to bring you into his love, to bring you into his delight. So first pattern, we'll see the work of the Trinity. Second pattern in Ephesians is all about knowing who we are. It's all about knowing who we are. So all throughout Ephesians, we will be reminded of who we are in Christ things that are easy for us to forget. John Owen, a very old, now very dead Puritan, is is well known for a lot of quotes. There's one really famous quote from his book, The Mortification of Sin, where he says, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. That's a great quote. That'd be a great like senior quote, right? Be killing sin or sin will be killing you. 
But he also says this. He says, our greatest hindrance in the Christian life is not our lack of effort. In other words, you struggling as a Christian, your hindrance, your obstacles before you as a Christian is not because you're not trying hard enough. It's not your lack of effort. But it is our lack of acquaintedness with our privileges. I'll say it again. Our greatest hindrance in the Christian life is not our lack of effort, but our lack of acquaintedness with our privileges. This letter will acquaint us with who we are as Christians. We will see with, I hope, greater clarity than ever before that God has made us new. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, and God has made us alive. He's given us his own life because he gives us his own spirit. He equips us to live in obedience to him. He gives us the church so that we're now members of one body of Christ. He gives us his armor so that we might stand against the evil one. He gives us strength. He gives us encouragement. He gives us guidance. He provides unity. He gives us faith. He transforms our minds and more and more and more. We need to know who we are as Christians. And Paul's letter to the Ephesians will be a great, great course in learning who we are. Third, we're going to see throughout this letter the idea of reconciliation. Reconciliation. So when you and I think of reconciliation, you probably think about two people who are mad at each other and they come together. So I have these like distinct memories in my mind of, of like my brother and I when we would get into fights when we were younger. Maybe you have memories like that. They were fair fights, right? I was bigger, but Josh had longer reach. So like, if he could just stay outside, he would be good. But if I got in close, it was over, right? But eventually, we would have to reconcile. We would have to come together. We couldn't be mad at each other forever. And so there had to be some things that happened. There had to be some some honesty, some vulnerability, some apology, some, some righting of wrongs. And what we'll see in Ephesians is that God is working to right every wrong. He's he's working to bring things to where he wants them to be. And we see this in two ways. First, we're going to see reconciliation in Ephesians as all things being reconciled to Christ. So we believe that Jesus is the Lord of heaven and earth. All authority has been given to him. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. And as the Lord of creation, Jesus will reconcile all things to him. So there's a day coming, a day we learned about in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, where everything will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth in perfect obedience to the Lord Jesus. That day is coming and we are moving towards that day. So reconciliation as all things to Christ. But number two, we'll see reconciliation in Ephesians as all God's people in Christ. So if all all creation to Christ is kind of this cosmic view of what's going on, 
then all God's people in Christ is this more material, real, kind of closer, zoomed-in version. So Ephesians talks about the mystery of Christ, the mystery of Christ, which is the revelation that all those who follow Jesus, no matter who you are, no matter where you've come from, no matter what your background is, no matter what you've done before now, all who come to Jesus are one in him. There is no divide in this life that isn't overcome by the gospel. Though the world and our sin create barriers that separate people, the gospel is what unites us together. Now, in our culture, when we think about things that separate us as people, we often think about the history of racism in our culture and country. We may think about the segregation that takes place from different ethnicities. So not just black, white things, but just other ethnicities and nationalities. There's this skepticism or this superiority or this feeling of inferiority. Often, something that we don't think about is as it relates to class and socioeconomic status. So you might have a diverse group of friends who all live in the same kind of house in the same kind of neighborhood and have the same kind of access to the same kind of things. But maybe if there's someone who's less well off financially than you are, it would be much more difficult to relate. Or maybe if there's somebody who's way more well off than you, it's much more difficult to relate. There are a lot of things in our culture that set up these kind of spheres that are so hard to, to crack. The same is true in Ephesus in the first century, particularly among the Jews and the Gentiles. The, 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 the hatred that existed between the Jews and the Gentiles is not very comparable to anything that you or I have experienced. I mean, the Jews in the first century would be quoted as saying, well, you know, God created the Gentiles to keep the fires of hell burning. So the whole reason why he made the non-chosen people, some Jews would say, is so that his wrath might burn forever. And he just needs a lot of fuel. Some of you have, made, have experienced bullying, some of you may have experienced, I mean, some kind of attack, whether it's based on your skin color or how you dress or what you do or what club you're in. But I don't think any of us have lived in a culture where the whole collective thinks, I only exist to bear God's wrath. And in that culture, Paul says, in Christ that dividing wall of hostility has been broken down. And now instead of there being two, there is now one new man in Christ. If that's true for the Ephesians, students, that is true for us. If that's true for that kind of extreme segregation and hatred, that can be true for us when we think about that person in our class that nobody really seems to like. Certainly there's more to say about these patterns and even more, but we, all have, we have all semester to get there. 
All right, so we've talked about the context. We've talked about some major patterns, some, some major themes that we're going to see. So finally, I just want to land the plane by being really clear as we start the semester on the gospel. Because that's how Paul starts off this letter. We read verses 1 and 2. So I want to end with where we began. And see so clearly in this greeting of this letter, what is most important to Paul. It's so important to Paul that it just comes out even in his introduction to his letters. So look at it again with me. Paul, an apostle. So so we need to start off by saying, whatever we're about to read, we can trust. Because Paul, the apostle, wrote it under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So whatever is in this letter is for our good. We may be confronted with some things in Ephesians that cause us to to search our hearts, that may cause some sin to be exposed in our life. Those are good things. We can trust what Paul has to say for us is for our good. We should listen. But notice what he says. I'm an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. If you know Paul's story, he was killing Christians at one time. And on the road to Damascus had this providential sovereign encounter with God where he was radically converted. He came from death to life, from slavery to the law to freedom in Christ. And it wasn't Paul just hanging out on his horse on the road to Damascus going, huh, I think Jesus really is the Messiah. No, he was blinded on the road and Jesus said, Paul, why are you persecuting me? He's like, I don't know who you are, Lord. He's like, I'm Jesus. And you're right, I am the Lord. So God has seen fit to make Paul his apostle. And he's writing to the saints. The saints in Ephesus, these are believers. These are brothers and sisters who have been sanctified, set apart. They're faithful in Christ Jesus. Their faith, their belief, their hope is in him. And because their faith, their hope, their belief is in Jesus, Paul can say, you are saints. Not because of what you've done, not because of your activities recently, not because of how well you're nailing it in holiness, but because your faith is in Christ, you're a saint. Christ said, mine, to these former pagans. Remember Demetrius, the silversmith. These believers that Paul is writing to probably bought those shrines. They bought those idols. They worshiped false gods. And now they have a new life. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So if Paul is an apostle by the will of God, and these saints are saints because of their faith in Jesus, then Jesus is the one who gives us that faith. God is the one who supplies the faith. We'll see in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul calls it the gift. This faith that you've received from God, it's a gift. Not a result of work so that no one may boast. And then he gives grace. Grace to you and peace from God. God gives grace. God brings peace. 
from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And we saw that the Spirit is the one who applies this work. So the Spirit is the one who brings that grace to you and to me. So the question is, like those pagans in Ephesus, do you know who you are? Because they did. They came to grips with the fact that their worship was false. It was empty. It was hollow. That those false gods and goddesses are not going to be able to remove the sin of their heart. But Jesus can. And if we come to him in faith, we might have life instead of death, just like Paul, just like these saints in Ephesus. And if we come to him in faith, God is faithful to give us his grace and to bring us peace. And what I want for you this semester and for the rest of your life is to live in the light of his grace and to live in his peace. So my hope and my prayer is that for the next couple of minutes as we discuss this together, you guys would think through, where are we headed? What am I looking forward to learning? What am I bringing to the table? What are some of those privileges that we talked about that are easy to forget that I need to be reminded of, that you need to be reminded of day by day. Let me pray, and then we'll talk about this in our groups.